mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome back to Telling Everybody Everything after a three-week accidental hiatus. The last episode, don't worry, you haven't missed anything, was indeed released on the the 13th of May, and I just have not been able to release one between now and then. It has been impossible. Am I over-exaggerating with the word impossible? No. I found myself in a position where I just don't have any time in the day to myself whatsoever at all. A lot of this is my fault. It is how I have engineered my life, how I have decided to raise my children. This is a choice. It's not a necessity. I understand that there are nurses and loads of frontline workers and people starting up businesses, people just working in a factory, not pursuing their dreams, but feeding their families who don't get to spend a lot of time at home. Truck drivers, I I get it. I was very um, privileged to film the show for Channel 4 back when, I mean, I had the bone structure of an angel. 2015, I think it was, perhaps 16. I haven't done anything to ruin my face between now and then, but I just was younger. Like, I'm on the wrong side of 35 now, as they say, and I've gained weight in my pregnancy, so my face has changed dramatically. If you want to see it at its best, go to Channel 4, um, all four, where you can watch older things. How Do You Get So Rich is a show started by Joan Rivers in America, where you interview very, very wealthy people, entrepreneurs. These are not lottery winners. They are most mostly self-made business people. And you find out, how'd you get so rich? Money, I'm home. It was so much fun. I traveled around the world doing that for one series only. I don't know why. I guess Channel 4 realized it's a lot cheaper just to do those money, money, money shows without a presenter. But you don't get to the you don't get the heart that the people enjoyed. It was a great series. I would love to bring it back. Also, I think the channel didn't make that much money from it because it is a format created by the Joan Rivers team. So when you do something like that, when you recreate something, you always have to pay money to the original format. Fine. But uh, I met a man who always stuck in my mind. He and his wife created Poundland. And he sold it for 50 million pounds when he sold it. He doesn't own Poundland anymore. He's like relaxing with his family, which is awesome. But when he created it, his children were small. And he said to me, I didn't see my children awake for 10 years. And I thought, okay, maybe he's exaggerating. No, he did not see his children awake for 10 years. Because when you want to start a business, it's balls to the walls, all hands on deck. He was leaving the house before they were awake every day. You don't get weekends off. He was getting back in after they were asleep. And I said, well, is it worth it? And he goes, oh, I don't know sometimes. You know, I worked really hard. I invested myself all my time. Our family made that choice. And the wife was working too, like cleaning toilets to show the other Poundland workers that if she's willing to do it, they definitely have to do it. They were such an inspirational family. But then he sold it and he retired early and got to enjoy his family, but nearly died of a blood clot on a plane. Amazing story, but he's fine, luckily. And I started thinking, well... Yeah. At what point in everyone's life, regardless of whether you're starting a business that could be worth 50 million one day or whether you're just working, like what is the work-life balance that we all need? And currently I have some days where I don't see my children awake. And that is not in line with my views as an attachment parent. I was on tour 
That tour, I mean, you're hearing this podcast now because it wrapped for the rest of the summer last weekend. I had an amazing time in Ireland. We did Belfast, Dublin, Cork, finally Edinburgh, where at the last minute, I just said to my wonderful agent, Kitty, I said, we got to film the special in Edinburgh. Because you know I have, uh, ooh, I didn't know. I had two specials out right now on Netflix streaming there, and I'm very grateful to have those. But one of my regrets with my most recent one, Glitter Room, is that we filmed it in America. I understand why Netflix wanted to film it there, you know, with their team under their roof, but I was originally supposed to fly out and do that at the end of a run that I had at the Garrick Theatre in West London. West End of London, not West London. London's West End. (laughs) And my visa situation was messed up because they've got a new rule in America now where you need a working visa for each production. You can't just have a working visa for five years. If you're doing The Fix for Netflix, you need a working visa for that. If you're doing your special for Netflix, you need a whole new working visa for that. It's an absolute racket. But they changed it all around that time. I think James Acaster ran into the same problem with his special, which was delayed. And uh, that affected us massively. So I couldn't go out and film it when it was fresh, when I had been doing it every night at the Garrick Theater. We had to wait a month. I didn't do the show for a month. I got stuck into a different project. I went to America, did the special, but I was kind of nervous about it because that's not really my crowd. There was a boy in the front. If you've seen Glitter Room, there's this like young man in the front. God bless him. People uh, raise their kids not to be a, I was a good musical theater audience because I was always in an audience from the time I was born. My mom was taking me to some type of local theater. Raffi was a children's entertainer in Canada that I enjoyed. I even went to adult things. I went to see The Who, which I think is a tribute band of the Guess Who, or, or the other way around, with my best friend's parents. That's not the kind of music for me. But I was an audience that at a dance recital, at a piano recital, I learned to look engaged and smile and clap because I knew that the performer could usually see me where I was sat. This boy was front row center for Glitter Room, arms crossed, legs kicked out, face like a smacked arse. He hated it. And I've thought about stopping and going, excuse me, young man, would you mind not looking like you're having the worst time of your life only because this is my special? We can't really move you because we've established that you're in the front. So I'm going to need you, whatever it takes. I'll buy you a beer. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll get you some ketamine. I need you to smile and laugh for the rest of the show. But because I hadn't done it in a month and because I was out of my usual, you know, environment, I didn't have the confidence to do that. I should have done that, but I didn't. And I like the special glitter room. I love the special glitter room. I got this incredible makeup artist, Lily Keys, who used to be my landlady. She does Dua Lipa's makeup. She does Charlie XCX. She does Olivia Rodriguez. If you follow her on Instagram, she's so beautiful herself and so extraordinarily fucking talented. You won't even believe it. She's the Fiona of America, though she's from South Africa. I loved it. But this time I said to Kitty, I want Mrs. to be different. I want Mrs. to be filmed in Scotland on my terms at the end of a very busy run. So it's fresh, fresh, fresh. I don't want it to get stale. I don't want it to get unrehearsed. I don't want to pick a date randomly in August and film it then. No. I've got the money to front it. Let's go. Let's film it in Edinburgh, which I do not regret. It was amazing. So that's done now. But I'm also filming uh, Ramesh Raganathan's rom-com for Sky. It's like a, it's so fun, actually. It's a heist. It's called Romantic Getaway. It's about a married couple who are struggling to have a baby. Like normal people, they cannot afford the exorbitant cost of IVF. They've tried a few rounds. They can't get a loan anymore. They're out of money. So they decide to rob his boss. Chaos chaos ensues. And once you commit one crime, crimes sometimes snowball. And so it's a Bonnie and Clyde funny heist adventure series. It's so much fun. But when you film a sitcom, you're picked up in the car at 5.30 a.m., 6.30 a.m., and you don't finish until 6.30 p.m. Then I was going out on tour Ramesh was also on tour at night. I mean, it's mad. And then sometimes when you have uh, time alone in your trailer, you can do things like a podcast. But Ramesh and I, because of the amazing job done by production to use our time when we're in London to film, we're in every scene. There is no time in the dressing room. So I just couldn't. I could not do the podcast. It was impossible. I was out of the house all day, then sometimes all night, rolling in at 3 a.m., 
from tour, depending on how far away I was. And then I sleep with Fred. Fred doesn't sleep through the night. He sort of sleeps through the night. His eyes are closed. I I cannot complain. I love the way Fred is at night. He just kind of wiggles for milk and I give it to him. But he doesn't wake up with his eyes open and cry or anything for an extended period of time. If you are in a newborn phase and you're spending three hours awake, you know, from one to four, that's no good. Uh, My heart goes out to you, but it's temporary. Fred is basically asleep all night without being asleep, if you get me. So he's next to me in bed. I have to be awake myself to give him milk now and then. And then we both fall right back asleep. But I haven't slept a full eight hours at all once in 12 months. Fred will be 12 months old on June 13th. Next week is his birthday. I'm not home. I'm working on his birthday, which is fine. He doesn't know when his birthday is. Um, But, you know, I just haven't had time to do this podcast. And I wanted to. And I feel really worried I don't want to lose my spot with Acast because I love doing the podcast I love it love it love it and I did it solidly every week for a hundred episodes mostly in series one missed a few here and there but even when I was going through some tough stuff even when I was working a lot even when I was on tour even when Fred was a newborn we brought him home two days old I did the podcast um I thought I was busy then no I wasn't I'm busy now and I just couldn't do it and then my sisters came to stay it has been bananas What happened in Ireland? Oh, by the way, this filming schedule is done in 13 days. So please set your reminders. Please stay loyal to the podcast. Please tell your friends who listen, and especially your friends who don't listen, that the podcast is back on and things won't be as hectic. The tour's wrapped until the autumn. If you didn't see Mrs., hopefully you can see it as a special. I'll tell you where and when. But if you'd like to see it live, I'm back on tour in the autumn. And if you would like to start listening to the podcast regularly again, don't worry. I'm home more. I'm going to be doing it. And I apologize for the break. I know a lot of people count on stuff, you know? I get that. But I'm sorry. It was impossible. In Ireland, uh, normally what a touring comedian would do is the show in Belfast, sleep in Belfast. Move to Dublin, do the show in Dublin, sleep in Dublin. Move to Cork, do the show in Cork. You get me. But my family are from Cork. And Fred was not yet christened. And that's very important to my dad. Uh, Catholicism is not important to me. But making people happy, if it doesn't put me out too much, that is important to me. Do you know what I mean? The risk-reward, if you weigh up how happy it makes my extended Irish family versus how inconvenienced I am to do a christening, (laughs) their joy massively outweighs the amount that I am inconvenienced. And I like, you know, it's a nice thing to do. You get some good pictures. It's a beautiful way to see everyone all at once. It's a nice brunch. Fine. So I agreed with my dad, Finbar Ryan. I said, all right, we don't want to move the baby around too much. I will bring the family to Ireland. We will do a home base in Cork. And I, with my tour manager, Annie, will travel by car out to Belfast. That's about five hours away. Drive back at night. The next day, I will travel out to Dublin. That's about three hours away. I will travel back. And then I will do the christening in the morning in Cork. Then that evening, I will do my show in Cork. Then we will fly to Scotland. I will do my special there. It's a bit hectic, but it's fine. Except my sisters also came because of the christening. Everyone landed. Bobby's parents came. Bobby's best friends came to be Fred's godparents. We had to bring the babysitter so that Bobby could go out with his friends and entertain them in Ireland, go out with his mom. It was a really lovely time for probably everyone but me because I lost my voice. And I have been feeling quite unwell for the last three months. And I just thought, oh my gosh, well, I'm filming my special. I don't have a voice. I'm too tired. I felt sick and feverish took COVID tests, didn't have that, but there are other diseases out there. Um, I just wasn't well, and it's not good to lose your voice when your voice is your instrument for work. And so I just had to pull it back. I had to be like, all right, listen, when we get back to the UK, I can't do as much. I've got to stop doing so much. But then I also have to do all this PR for Backstage with Catherine Ryan, which is an incredible show that comes out tomorrow, June 9th, on Amazon prime video it's it's so good and I want to promote it as much as I can and they're like oh you can go on Lorraine well they can't go on Lorraine because I'm filming all day on Ramesh's romantic getaway oh you can go on the one show well I can't go on the one show can I because that starts early in the evening and I'm filming all day on romantic getaway and then they're like well what you can do is you can zoom into Lorraine from the makeup chair no I actually can't do that like I I don't understand how I'm supposed to do all these things but I'm trying as hard as I can because 
I'm feeling better. My voice is back. I really, really want you to see Backstage with Catherine Ryan. I will give you a uh, exclusive spoiler on this podcast now, which I don't know if they want me to advertise. Um, there are six incredible episodes. You can clearly see in episode one, looking back, maybe you don't know right away. You might just think, oh, what's up with Catherine? Number one, I'm chubby as fuck, which is fine. I looked great. My tits were enormous. That's because Fred, that's because Fred was newborn. He had just been born six weeks before we started filming, maybe five weeks. I don't remember. All I know is that we were ferrying breast milk back and forth, back and forth in couriers at the great expense of Prime Video and Amazon. So thank you very much for that. That is a real feminist move. And there are not a lot of feminist moves by productions or insurances on television. And I keep telling people this. I don't know why people don't believe me. I was telling Ramesh this. And he's like, really? That's in black and white? I've told you before, I can't stress this enough. It is in black and white on pretty much all production insurance policies and on the BBC's insurance website. They do not insure for any matters of the womb. If you're pregnant, you can't be insured. That means, all right, uh, a production every day will cost like tens of thousands of pounds, maybe hundreds of thousands, depends on what production it is. If you can't go that day and you're a main character because you fell out of bed and smashed your face up, for example, or you have an eye infection and your whole face is crazy and it just doesn't make sense for the scene, they can't cover it with makeup. If that happened, insurance would step up and go, okay, everyone's canceled for the day, everyone's paid for the day, and you can reschedule, and your production doesn't lose hundreds of thousands of pounds. If you show up to work one day and your vagina falls off, no. We don't insure for any matters of the womb. Production uh, has to cancel the day because they can't use you, and also we don't pay them. So your production suffers, your production company suffers. They lose a ton of money because you are a woman and we don't insure for any matters of the womb. If you're pregnant, you're no longer insured. If you have anything like that, and that is 2022, that's in everyone's policy, black and white, is fucking insane. But I mean, I think I just can't can't praise Amazon and Prime Video enough for like stepping up and being like, we will absorb the cost of couriers to take your breast milk to your baby back and forth. I didn't ask them to do it. I would have happily paid for it. But they were like, we got you, Catherine. It was difficult to find time to pump on this show. But I mean, look, you can tell by watching episode one. I thought I was tired from having a newborn. I felt extremely run down. I had glassy eyes. I had a very deep masculine voice. I just went to the screening the other night and I'm talking to my friend and co-writer for a lot of projects, Jeff Norcott. Listen, Jeff Norcott gets a bad rap because he is playfully right-wing, but he isn't. He's a lot more down-to-earth. He's centrist, but you know, they like to sell him as this like right-wing monster. He's not at all. He's one of my very best friends. We have a lot of political things we agree on. We have a few political things we disagree on. But if you listen to Jeff, he's very sensible, very measured. He's not at all what you would think a right-wing white man would be. I'm turned to him talking, and it's genuinely like, Jeff, I don't know what we're going to do today. And I, Bobby was watching it next to me. He goes, you seem drunk in this. I said, uh, I'm not drunk, but you can clearly see I had COVID. I was riddled with COVID. Episode one, you can absolutely tell. But... The tricky thing with this virus, because they were so safe in this production, we were distanced, we were masked, we were being PCR tested, not lat flow, PCR molecular tested twice a day. We had these scanners when we came in to make sure we didn't have a fever. I didn't have a fever. I was passing the PCRs. I just thought I was run down from having a newborn. And I didn't have traditional symptoms of COVID. I wasn't really coughing. I didn't have a sore throat. I just lost my voice and I felt drunk, glassy-eyed, tired. All right. Episode one, that is clear. Episode two, clear. I haven't yet seen episode three, four, and five I can imagine, but basically when you watch Backstage with Catherine Ryan, not only will you be enjoying uh, how warm and down-to-earth and hilarious Jimmy Carr actually is, how lovely and gentle and thoughtful and kind Frankie Boyle really is, the type of banter that goes on backstage between, you know, Rob Beckett, uh, Nish Kumar, Rosie Jones, Joel Domit. Joel Domit, another feminist, stepped up. In the show, my boobs explode watching Joe Brand on stage because I was breastfeeding, obviously. I had to pump every two hours. 
that's not really conducive with the schedule of filming. Joe Brand is on stage, and I just love her so much. I had an emotional reaction to watching her on stage. Any emotional reaction, the people who, the mothers who have breastfed will know that um, it releases your milk. I don't know why. And so I got milk all over my shirt. My wonderful stylist, Jen, stepped into action. She goes, you're leaking. We are rushed off stage. And Joel Domit came to check on me. He's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you okay? I said, well, I'm just like lactating all over my shirt. Joel didn't want me to feel vulnerable. He didn't want me to feel alone in that position. Joel Domit, if you didn't know, this will come as a huge surprise to fans of The Masked Singer. He can lactate. We don't know why. Yes, he has been checked by medical professionals. It's fine. But he stepped up lifted his shirt up. We get to see those incredible famous abs that he works on day and night. He squeezed his nip. He lactated so that I wasn't alone. And that's not something that you're going to see on every show. That's not something that you will see without a all-access areas backstage pass, which is what we give you in Backstage with Catherine Ryan. Um, But basically, it culminates in quite a dramatic episode where I am rushed away um, taken from everyone else because one of my PCRs came back positive. And thank God they were testing so often, you know, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be messing around with this disease back then. And they were testing, 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 testing. So I didn't give it to anyone else. As soon as my viral load was high enough to test positive, I tested positive. But I mean, watching it back, I'm like, who is this girl? This like chubby, deep voice, lactating. Like, I, I can't even believe that it came out so wonderfully, despite me being like the least professional that I've ever been in my life. I tried my ass off. I wanted it to be amazing. But looking back, oh, I mean, what a transformation. It was It was another busy time. Newborn, secret COVID, busy f- filming schedule. I just hope that you guys watch it. I hope that you love it and you tell people about it because my dream in life is to do it again. It was so much fun. You really get to see comedians the way I see them. Part of the biggest reason why I'm a stand-up is because when I started doing open mics and amateur nights in Canada, I found my tribe there. I went, oh, these are the people that I want to be around all the time. These are the people that I want to hang out with. People who don't take themselves too seriously. People who always want to have a laugh. People who are never offended by anything. People who jump leapfrog over small talk and get straight to the big talk. How'd your dad die? Tell me about it. I want to know. What medication are you on? And you get to be privy to these conversations. It's such a great show. It's I'm so proud to be doing it. So Expectation, oh, an incredible production company that are just killing it. Everything they touch is amazing. Um, they just did such a good job. <clears throat> and my producer, I mean, there are lots of people on it who I love very much. Tom, Ben Wicks, Susie Applin, Mia Cross. She worked on Your Face or Mine with me. And I think I am closer to Mia Cross. If I could just have Mia Cross as like, my personal consultant for day-to-day life. She's one of the best people ever, and I need her to become producer, director, commissioner of all television ever. Look her up, see what she's worked on. If it's got Mia Cross's name on it, it's funny. It's great. Her instincts are amazing. Her company is 10 out of 10. She's just great to be around. I can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait for you to love it. The other thing that's been going on is I've been trying, despite all of these different um, blessings and commitments in my life, to sort Violet's birthday party. Violet is turning 13 next week. She and Fred shared a due date, but they're born five days apart. Violet's birthday is coming up and she's 13 years old, so I didn't realize that that means she is persona non grata at venues across North London. I was ringing up beautiful venues venues that had availability, venues where weddings are hosted, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, parties, christenings, birthdays. And I was saying I would like to organize a party for my daughter. And they'd say, great, great, great. How old is she? I said, she'll be turning 13. They said, "Uh, no. I said, excuse me? They said, we don't do parties for 13-year-olds. I said, um, why? Is there a reason for that? They said, well, because uh, we just don't. It's, in, it's uh, not in our insurance policy. I had so many people tell me, well, no, we just, uh, it's against our policy to do it. Uh, we, can't, we can't be insured for that. That is bullshit because there was one venue that I respect tremendously, actually. I spoke to this man and he gave me the tea. He said, 13-year-olds trash the fucking place. We don't have teenagers because even when parents are there, they trash the place. We don't want teenagers. They're a problem. And you know me. I appreciate honesty in life. I don't want some 
venue manager being like, oh, sorry, no, our insurance magically doesn't cover like 13 to 18. Fuck off. Yes, it does. Because what is a bat mitzvah? What is a bar mitzvah? It's a birthday party for a 13-year-old Jewish child. And that's fine with you for some reason. Jewish kids are smashing the place up. Well done, Jewish kids. (laughs) But if you're not having that kind of party. And I said, listen to me. I went very pretty women on their ass. I went, I have a wedding budget for my daughter's birthday parties. It's going to be beautiful. Parents are invited. It's going to be catered. My daughter goes to a private girls school. There aren't any boys invited. These girls are like scholars, like tennis stars, violinists. What do you think they're going to do? And they're like, no, no, no teenagers. If I had said she was 12, it would have been fine. And it's just, what kills me about this is, all right, fair enough. I suppose teenagers have smashed these places to shit. And I appreciate that a private business is allowed to uh, decline service to people, but to protect themselves. Yeah, but it feels discriminatory to me. I feel like they should have a larger deposit or something. They should be like, I'll be very honest with you. We've had problems with teenagers before where they drink or they break things or they're loud or they're messy. I don't know. But if you really want to have a 13-year-old's party here, if you trust these 13-year-olds, like you say, I need a huge deposit from you, which you will get back immediately if these 13-year-olds are well-behaved. And then whether you have lots of money or you don't, you show up and you protect your investment and you have parents there and you police this party. I don't know, but no, just having a blanket like, no, no teenagers. I feel so bad for teenagers because what this means is they aren't allowed to exist in their own communities. And this is why they get up to trouble. Like, do we have after school like clubs for them anymore? Are there centers that they can go to, community places where they can gather safely and do stuff? Funding for that has dropped tremendously, like everything else that is uh, good for the community. Um... And where are they supposed to go? What do you want teenagers to do? They're banned from everywhere. They can't go into a sweet shop more than two at a time. And this owner stands outside being like, fucking teenagers. Anything goes wrong or is damaged or vandalized in your neighborhood. On the next door app, all the neighbors are like, teenagers, teenagers. It's like, well, they've been locked up for two years. They can't do anything. Do you know how important social interaction and physical, like face-to-face conversation with teenagers is for their development? Of course, they're going to go hang out in the park late at night and drink under the slide because they're not allowed to exist anywhere legitimate in their own communities. And I wish that there was something that I could do about this. I just, I don't know if there is or if I want to because teenagers are such pieces of shit, they're going to smash everything up. No, I want teenagers to have safe spaces to go. And I don't think, you know, I mean, growing up in Sarnia, we, I don't know, I felt welcome everywhere. Yes, I got maybe worse service when I would go into somewhere. They would assume that I wasn't going to tip or obviously my bill wouldn't be high because I wasn't drinking alcohol when I was out with my girlfriends, but it wasn't that bad. And when we got up to no good, first of all, we were not 13, 14, maybe it started 15, 16 was peak naughtiness. But uh, we had fake IDs, so we were sneaking into bars, and we weren't misbehaving. We were just acting like everyone else. And we'd have house parties uh, where we'd drink at someone's house. Sometimes that would result in carnage, and the house would end up getting smashed up. But not always. Not with my group of friends, anyway. That would only be when the party got out of hand and people came from different schools that we didn't know and they would cause trouble. And there were drugs sometimes, not with me. Um, I've... This is what I always say to the young people. You don't have to try street drugs. Not everyone tries street drugs. Feels like everyone does. No, not everyone does not. Yes, I smoked cannabis now and then because I'm Canadian, but I didn't take any other drugs ever. I've never tried a pill. I've never seen cocaine. You don't, it's not, everyone is not doing this. I did drink alcohol starting when I was probably 15 though. And um, we mostly policed each other. We looked after each other. We would go to bush parties. You know, I think country kids still do this where you find a field and you go out and have fun there. And yeah, we had police sometimes looking after, but like, I think we were mostly allowed to exist in our own communities. We could go to Tim Hortons' this coffee shop, but we could hang out in our cars, like go under the bridge and get fries and do things like we weren't banned from everywhere, the way kids are now. So <clears throat> it was really disappointing to know like venue after venue that I rang. Do you have availability? Yes. Can I have a party for my 13-year-old? No. 
And I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to start saying she's 12 because why should I lie to like sneak my daughter in somewhere? I think that sets a really bad precedent. And then when we get there, they'll see these 13 balloons and everything else. Like I just, no. So I rang and rang and rang and rang and rang and rang and rang around. And finally I found a place that would have Violet's party, even though she was 13. I was elated to find this place. And I have hired a event planner, Fable and Moon. She's incredible. She's done balloons for Violet before. She's an entire event planner. Uh, Look her up on Instagram. She does incredible designs. Through Fable and Moon, this lovely girl, Sophie, she has found me a DJ. She has found me caterers. She has found incredible mocktails. She's found a light up dance floor. I mean, I cannot wait to take photos of this fucking party, put them on Instagram, tag all the venues that said no to me, not to destroy their business, but to show them big mistake, huge. And I will do that not just for my daughter and for my own uh, honor, but for all teenagers in the neighborhood, because you don't know what you're going to get. And when you blanket say no to people, it's absolute bullshit. If my daughter and her friends smash this venue up, (laughs) no, they won't. But I would feel, yeah, I would feel not great about that. Anyway, that's all the time that I have for telling you about my life, because you don't want to hear about, you know, what else have I been up to? I've been in cars a lot. I've been trying to get intralipid. Oh yeah, here's something. I uh, have spoken a lot about autoimmune disease. There is a treatment that they give a lot in ICUs. No, like any autoimmune protocol is not really uh, approved because they don't bother to do a lot of studies on it. You have to know that for medicine to get approved, it's not about whether it's safe or not, always. It's about who's funding the studies to get it approved and who's jumping through all these hoops to do the things it takes to get something approved. It doesn't necessarily mean it works or it's safe. Sometimes it does. Often, you know, hopefully it does, but not always. And this autoimmune stuff is always speculative because there just isn't enough investment into doing the type of study that it needs to get it approved. So this thing called itrolipids is like just a mixture of fatty acids like soy, egg white, and it's an IV drip that they do give some people in ICU or they give uh, newborns. It's basically just pure fat, fatty acid put into your veins because it has been shown, though not proven, to calm the autoimmune response. And apparently an ICU is a really dangerous place to be. It's full of like the worst diseases um, and germs ever. And everyone's autoimmune response goes crazy when they're in there. They're like, ah, uh, my immunity shield is up, but then it goes up too much and that can actually make you sicker. So they give people these intralipids. People like me who have lupus, I've been run down. I've been like busy. I need to get intralipids every four weeks just for a while. And I go to this place in Harley Street to get that. I used to go all the way to Epsom. That was too far for me. But I found this place in Harley Street that'll do it. And it only takes a few hours every four weeks. But I haven't had that time. It's been very difficult to find one day every four weeks to go there. So I found a place in my neighborhood that actually does intralipids. And I was talking to the owner. I met him somewhere. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we do intralipids. I was like, you do? Amazing. He's like, yep, email the clinic. You can come in. We're 10 minutes down the road. I was like, fuck yes. Brilliant. So I emailed the clinic and his secretary is like, no, we actually don't do intralipids. We don't. We stopped doing them in the pandemic because we didn't want to lower people's immune response when there's a deadly virus out there. I was like, what? Well, your owner told me you do it. So I see the owner again. I say, your secretary says you don't do it. He goes, well, we do. We do. We definitely do. I was like, for fuck's sake. I email this chick back. I'm like, can you guys please have a conversation? Because I need to get intralipids and I need to know if you do it or not. Your owner's telling me you do. You're telling me you don't. What's the tea? And then they just never got back to me. So, I don't know. I've been dealing with that as well. If you have autoimmune problems, look into intralipids, um, especially if you are, you know, planning a pregnancy, trying to have another baby. It's really good for you if you might have suffered from recurrent losses before. It's, um, it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what worked for Fred, but it seemed to. And it seems to make me feel better. I think it's a good thing. But clinics, please be more fucking clear about whether you offer it or not. I also, a woman reached out to me on Instagram, was like, we do intralipids in your house. I was like, that is incredible. She goes, all you need is a prescription. And I can't get a legit doctor to prescribe me that. He's like, hang on, you want me to write you a letter for someone to come and give you an unapproved IV in your home? I said, yeah. These doctors won't do it. Obviously, they don't want to do it. It's in their interest, if they offer it, that you come into their clinic and pay them. But I don't have that kind of time. But I will soon. July, guys? 
July, I'm basically wide open. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Uh, what Have I been booked for JFL Montreal? Am I going to be doing my brand new show, Misses, at least two nights, maybe a gala, maybe more? Maybe I'll even throw in a French show. We don't know. But I'm going to Montreal July. My show is on sale now. It's July 29th and July 30th. And I think there's a code. There's like an early code. I think it's JFLMT. What is the early code? I don't think you need the code anymore. You could just go on the JFL website. If you don't live in Montreal, but you have the means to go in July and you want to be in Canada, it, it, I think it's one of my favorite comedy festivals, if not my favorite comedy festival. Montreal is a magical city. It's so vibrant during JFL. You can see Amy Schumer there. You can see Fortune Feimster there. You can see, I don't even know, the comedians are going huge comics, loads of shows, so much fun. Ooh, the Nasty Show, that's a really good show. My friend Lisa Traeger's doing that. Um, there's a Brit show with all these Brits, British people coming. Um, I mean, it's just great. And you walk around Montreal and you have the best time of your life and you get to eat all the Canadian things in their best presentation. You get to go to this incredible breakfast restaurant, Expectation, and you see like breakfast, how it should be done. You get to have poutine. You get to drink Caesars all day and all night, baby. Oh, and Montreal in July. Don't let anyone make you think Canada's cold. It is piping hot, beautiful hotels, incredible atmosphere. The city is like basically 24 hours a day during Montreal, uh, JFL. Go there if you can. I'll be there. When we come back, your emails. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. God, all right, a warning. This email is awful and involves sexual harassment of 12-year-olds. So skip through if you don't want to hear this. Um, God, when young people this young write me emails, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I really feel like it's a safeguarding issue and I don't have a lot of power because I have to keep you anonymous and I don't know where you go to school or anything else, but I've just scanned through and it's really bad. Catherine, I'm in, I'm 12 years old. I'm in year seven in an English school and I need an opinion. In my school, I'm the first generation of girls with a ratio of 18 to 90 boys to girls. Wait a minute, 18 to 90. So first of all, you might not have approached this yet in your maths, but let's bring that ratio down. 18, uh, probably the biggest number, we can divide that by a six, so you get three. Let's divide 90 by six, you get 15. So the ratio um, in its most simple form is three to 15. Um, the ratio of three to 15 boys to girls. So now you're saying there are three boys for every 15 girls, because if you're the first generation of girls, I would assume there are three girls to every 15 boys. That bit's not clear. Please write me back. In any case, it's irrelevant, really. Earlier this year, a few year nines at my school started harassing and inappropriately touching a few of us, as well as following us home. The incidents became more frequent, and myself and a few other girls complained to the school. After about two weeks, we received news that the official complaint was being looked into. We were asked to help review CCTV, and many articles of proof were found. However, after a week, despite finding evidence, the safeguarding team dropped it without any punishment for the boys. This week, we have a beach thing with only the girls— and I was planning on wearing a bikini. 
There wasn't a dress code set, and it was stated we were allowed to wear bikinis. Some of the girls in my year are saying that we should not be allowed to wear them, and we should wear wetsuits instead, as it could bring the wrong attention and would apparently provoke the year nines to harass 12 and 11-year-old girls, apparently. These girls have made it clear that wearing a bikini would automatically make the girls, quote, sluts who were asking for it. I was wondering if you had any advice on any parts of the situation, as I'm a bit stuck with what to do. That's because you're 12 and you should not be the one figuring out what to do. It's not your responsibility. I know that you're becoming a young woman and um, you are a young woman. You're becoming a woman, you know, and you want to figure out situations for yourself and you're very articulate. The way that you've written this email, I mean, I have grown adults writing me emails, loads of spelling and grammatical errors. You've nailed it with this. You are very smart. And um, even though you're smart, you are still 12. That's just something that is happening. And you, you don't have the power that you will have one day. And that means that adults and guardians and people in positions of power at your school and guardianship are supposed to be looking after you. So it's not your fault that you can't figure this out. It is not for you to figure out. And I'm sorry that the people who are meant to be looking after you are not looking after you properly. Um, well, there's nothing that you have done to make these boys harass you. And you did all the right things when you flagged it up to the safeguarding committee. And the fact that they found articles of proof on CCTV and still dropped it without punishing the boys is unconscionable to me. And um, you shouldn't have to be the one to figure out how to stop them, evade them, hide from them. You know, I think that a lot of women spend their lives assessing situations and being vigilant and trying to predict the behavior of people who might want to hurt them. And that's wrong. Um, as for your girlfriends, I think the biggest influence you have with them is to remind them because maybe they're not being reminded. You already know that no way that you dress makes you a slut or makes you ask for harassment or negative attention. And that even if the boys were there, whomever is in attendance, if you want to wear a bikini, you know, there are babies in bikinis. If you're 12 years old and, and you want to wear a bikini because it's hot outside and you're swimming, you should be able to do that. And it's not an indication of whether you're a good person or a bad person or you're dirty or you're asking for it. It's just a swimming wear. So I would remind my girlfriends of that. I'd say, I don't know where you got these messages that the way that you dress is any indication of the kind of person that you are or how you deserve to be treated, but we all deserve to be treated with respect regardless of what we wear. I would say that to my friends, not in a confrontational way, but, you know, obviously they aren't as mature as you are. As for the school, I mean, I think that you should write me another email and tell me what school you go to. And I will uh, anonymously, not I mean, I won't anonymously, they'll know who it is. I will deal with it. I'll contact your fucking school. Because, I mean, I wasn't there. You know, this is all um, third-party information for me. But if no one else is protecting you, then, I mean, I will try. Because this is insane. And the school doesn't want me to look into this and make a big deal of it. They definitely don't want that. So I need to find out what school you go to. And I'm going to make a phone call to someone. I'm going to go, what are you doing about this? Let me know what you're doing about this. If you have any um, anyone's name, any teacher's name that you went to that dropped the case... As a matter of like public interest, I will look into it. And then if other parents don't know about this, maybe I'll try to reach out to them somehow. You'd be surprised what I can find online. I am a woman, all right? I have investigative skills that I was born with. I can find out. I can get a class list. I can find some parents. I can make a, I can make a bit of noise about this thing because it's not down to you to figure it out. You've done everything that you can do and you need someone to help you, I think. So write me again and tell me what school you go to. Oh no. Catherine, I'm three months pregnant. I was with the father for two months. We spoke about children. He said he wasn't ready right now, but he did want them, and he would definitely stay and show up fully for me if I got pregnant. The night we conceived, I told him I was close to ovulation and asked him to withdraw. Pull out, for lack of a better term, if you guys don't know what withdraw means. I like that you used withdraw. It's classy. He chose not to without communicating this with me, which now... I feel like we call, that's a form of rape, we call that, because he uh, ejaculated inside you without your consent. 
You know, you clearly communicated that you did not give consent for that. And then he did it anyway. And that's not rape, rape as we knew it, but it counts as that now because there was no consent. You see what I mean? So that's a problem right off the bat. That's a huge red flag and a big problem. When I told him I was pregnant, he said he wanted no involvement. He spent a week trying to pressure me to get an abortion. He moved to the town where I work a year ago and he travels a lot. Before I got pregnant, he told me he was planning to leave after the summer. Now he's saying he might stay. And he doesn't care if it negatively impacts our child for him to see us and ignore us because he feels completely righteous about his decision and victimized by my decision not to get an abortion. I once asked him if he'd thought about child support. He said he's shocked I even asked him. I have several friends my age with babies living in this town. I have a job. It's an hour from my parents. I can imagine having a good life here as a single mom. He has no wise older men to speak to, and his friends seem to be an echo chamber of his own opinion that it would be unfair for him to leave just because I'm so mean, meanly deciding to have a baby and ruin his freedom. I want to put my baby first. Do I leave and find another town to protect my child from his immaturity? How do I communicate with someone so lost and self-involved? Also, some words of encouragement as I'm becoming a single parent. Oh, God. I mean, women are so funny. You're like, he doesn't have any older wise men to... Fuck him. Fuck him. You think older men are wise? God. All right. Brass tacks. If he has a normal job with a normal employer and he has to submit like PAYE slips and they take tax automatically from his paycheck, then he doesn't have a choice he has to pay child support. His employer will take it from that. If he is like an artist and pretends not to have any income or doesn't want to pay child support, in my experience, you will never get it from him uh, ever, ever. So don't try. Um, there are people who can hide money or they don't feel like they have to pay. And you know what? Sometimes you're better for it. You just learn to pick your life up and become a megastar. Um... I think that it won't be a problem for you and your child to stay in that town. You should not have to uproot your life to get away from him because you see people around a town a lot less often than you think. Your attachment to him will fade if you let it. Um, I think he has done you the greatest favor by saying that he doesn't want to be involved I'm friends with women whose partners are very controlling and very dangerous, and they do want to be involved, not because they actually care for the child, but because the child becomes an instrument of control over the child's mother. So um, you're very lucky, I think. And I know that that doesn't feel that way now because you go, oh, this guy lied to me. I've been abandoned. I think this guy's a rapist. So there's that. I mean, and I don't, I wouldn't want someone like that around my child. Your child won't suffer because your child won't know who he is if you decide not to tell them. He'll just be another freak running around the high street. So, and the other thing is, like, you have to decide how much you really want child support because if you pursue, you know, parenting all alone and you don't put him on the birth certificate and you just move it along and you never pursue, like, a DNA test or anything else and you just use you know your friends and your support group and your parents and you are a single mother without involving him whatsoever then he has no legal rights to your child either and that seems like it's for the best and I would never say that you should withhold someone's child I think a child um it's good for them to have context and to know who their parents are but not in this situation not when your dad is a rapist and he wanted to you have an abortion and pressured you as being nasty you know what I mean like you, I don't know why people pursue this like oh it's for the good of my child really would you want someone like that around your child if it wasn't their biological dad no um you're not damaged goods for being a single mom there are still loads of people who will want you you can still fall in love you can fall in love with 10 kids you can fall in love in your 30s in your 40s in your 80s look at Kourtney Kardashian she had all her children with her practice man and now she's found true love in her 40s with Travis Barker, and she's never looked happier. So, I mean, don't move. Don't uproot your life. What you need to do now is figure out a way to convince yourself that this man doesn't exist. See if you can access counseling for everything that's happened. But ultimately, that's what is best for you.
I think everyone would agree what's best for you is to completely forget about this man. And when your child asks, which your child probably won't ask for a long time, then one day, like, do I have a daddy? You could be like, you know, yes, everyone had a daddy. Um, I don't know what you say. I think there are books on it. But you could just be like, your daddy, um, I don't know. Like, he helped make you. And then he went away to work and he did different things. And it wasn't because he doesn't love you, but because our family is you and me and Nana and Papa. And, you know, this is our family. Families are all different shapes. And some families have two mummies and some families have two daddies. Some families don't have a mummy, don't have a daddy. Some families are just raised by their grandparents. And the shape of our family is this. And everyone loves you. And that's all you need to know. You know, I think, I think that's what I would say. But definitely fuck this man and get him out of your head and keep living your life as though he's a ghost. Catherine, single again at 31. Am I the asshole? I recently called things off with my boyfriend of two years. We had a good relationship, but sometimes we just didn't gel. For example, he was into things in the bedroom that I hadn't done before and was pushing for me to try being more dom, wear stripper heels and trash talk. This just isn't my natural go-to and it made me feel stupid trying it. It would make me feel really stupid too. It was an issue that hung over us and our sex life for the whole relationship. Every argument we had came back to me being selfish for not trying these things and him needing more. I could never work him out. Our most recent argument started because I mentioned some issues. I have him frequently, maybe like once a year, due to possible, but not officially diagnosed, herpes type 1, the cold sore strain. He says, I haven't ever told him that I have betrayed his trust by potentially impacting his physical health. I never ever had sex with him during a potential outbreak. He said it would be difficult to come back from what I had done. I'm convinced I did tell him the potential for it early on because I remember calling him from the hospital, but I digress. I feel devastated because I wouldn't ever try to compromise someone's health or pass an infection around, and I hate that he thinks that of me. I'm also gutted that our different needs with regard to sex got in the way. Am I the asshole? Should I just have been more confident and gone on with it? Was he right to bring it up and tell me not doing it was impacting his confidence? Or was I right to stick with my boundaries? Have I compromised his health? Am I pathetic for being single again at 31? Will I die alone? Yes, we will all die alone. That is the first thing we all need to wrap our heads around. You're born alone. You die alone. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that is true. Yeah, we all die alone. Um, Look, you're both right. He is right to be very vocal in what he expects from a relationship, what his needs are, what his boundaries are, what his expectations are. And you are very right for vocalizing what you are prepared and not prepared to do, what makes you feel uncomfortable in the bedroom especially, which is a very vulnerable uh, place. You are not right for each other. And being single at 31 might feel to you like a dead end and that that's too old and whatever else, but like... You're so young still in terms of finding your one true love. I met Bobby again when I was 35. And I did, I did, I guess, think like, oh God, I was with the boyfriend before Bobby. Neither of us was really happy. We liked each other a lot. We're really good friends. We still are really good friends. But at the time we were like, eh, not getting along, but making it work because he was the best boyfriend that I'd had up till that point. I was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't get better than this. And he was thinking, well, I've been with her this long already. I might as well stay with her. But it's all right then to break up and go, actually, no, I'm keeping you from finding the love of your life and you're keeping me from finding the love of my life. You can be 50 when that happens. It does not matter. 31, you don't even have any kids and you're worried that you're going to die alone. You're about to have the best 10 years of your life. And herpes, a lot of people have herpes. And for him to tell you, no, you didn't communicate this to me when you remember calling him from the hospital, like it says a lot that you're questioning your own memory. You're like, well, I guess maybe I didn't. That's what people do in controlling relationships. They make you doubt what you know is true. It sounds to me like, you know, he's trying to hold that over you. Like, well, you have to put stripper heels on and call me a a pig, like, and step on my balls because you didn't tell me you had herpes. (laughs) Isn't that dom enough to give someone herpes? Without telling them, surely, like, he's creating that because it's part of his fantasy. <laughs> I don't know. Don't worry about it. Lots of people have herpes. Uh, and I don't think you pass it on when you don't have an outbreak and there's medication and stuff now. Like, you know, everything, everything is everything. I know lots and lo- not like l- at least five married women who are my friends who have herpes. 
and didn't pass it to their partners, as far as I know. But they did get it from men originally, so uh, don't worry about that. You're about to have the next 10 years are going to be the best of your life. You are not going to die alone. We're coming out of a pandemic. You have shed a snake skin of a man who might not be a bad person, but he wasn't right for you. And no, you're not an asshole. He will find someone. He will find someone who wants to put leather on and whip him blindfolded, chained to a radiator. And he can be happy for the rest of his life doing that. And you can find someone who is sexually compatible with you too. Don't worry. Catherine, how do we fix our sex life? My boyfriend, 28, and I, 27, met on Tinder. I was living in Amsterdam. He was living in Manchester. We talked for two months before we actually met in person. We clicked so quickly, and everything just felt easy and natural. Being together in person felt so good, and after just one weekend, we became boyfriend-girlfriend. We continued long distance for a few months and visiting on weekends when we could. The sex wasn't amazing, but I chalked that up to it being new, and we didn't know each other's bodies and preferences yet. Okay, that's not a thing. No, that's not a thing. The first weekends of you having sex in a long distance relationship are supposed to be magical. There's not a thing of like, we just, we were just getting to know each other's bodies. I'm sorry. No. At the end of the year, I quit my job in Amsterdam and decided to move to Manchester to be with him. Everything happened so quickly. It was so exciting. In hindsight, I think we rushed into it too quickly. I moved in with him right away, so we didn't have the honeymoon phase. It's been five months and I'm bored. We're more like flatmates that cuddle and sometimes see each other naked. He's an introvert, rarely sees friends, and after work, he wants to be alone. I'm alone all day. WFH. What the fucking hell? Oh, work from home. (laughs) Work from home. And I'm used to being active, going out with friends, having partners who enjoy being social. We also barely have sex. He's only had two other sexual partners and his previous relationship was for seven years. I've had loads more sex partners than he has. I'm a sexual being and I feel like we aren't very compatible in that regard. For example, he never goes down on me. He rarely does foreplay and he doesn't last longer than five minutes, half of which is very slow because going fast makes him come faster. (laughs) I feel like he's embarrassed about being inexperienced in sex and doesn't want to perform badly so he decides not to perform at all. Whenever we do have sex, it almost feels awkward and we don't really connect the way I have in the past with partners. I feel like if we could fix this sex issue, we would be totally fine. How can I bring this up without hurting his feelings? We're good partners. We enjoy each other's company and we make each other laugh. But in the back of my mind, I know this is a problem. Part of me says I should break it off. And I feel like this, but the other part of me feels like I should hang on and see if the sex will get better. I also feel guilty because he literally drove to the Netherlands from Manchester just to help me move my new life here. My God, he provides everything for me. I just feel so selfish and ungrateful for feeling like this because of sex. He's such a sweet guy. Even writing this to you makes me feel guilty. I don't know how to move forward. Again, women are so funny. I feel so guilty because yes, I've moved my entire life to be with him, but he drove all the way to Amsterdam for me. Oh my God. Wow. He drove all the way to Amsterdam for me. Doesn't go down on you, though, does he? God, I quit my job in Amsterdam and decided to move for him. But I just feel bad breaking up with him because he drove one time all the way to Amsterdam for me. Yes, and you would have driven to Amsterdam for him. You know what I mean? Like, stop giving these guys, like, loads of credit for, like, one thing that is normal in a relationship to do. All right. He seems like he's nice. I don't really think that you could go to a sex therapist or improve this at all. I don't really feel like it's worth it. Five months after five months, if like that spark isn't there and you're bored, that's a really bad sign because things are supposed to be the most exciting. I always say if you have problems in the first year and people have disagreed with me on this. Now, let's say you have a death in the family. You have some terrible disaster or there's something then you know, that's different. But in a normal situation, if you're both like young and healthy and everyone's alive and you're just living your single, like, but together, young, unattached lives and you can pay your bills and you don't have kids, you know, you shouldn't have any problems in the first year at all. Because in a long-term monogamous relationship, you're supposed to be together for 50 years. So I'm afraid that you do have to break up. And It's not like being mean to him because like I said before, like you are blocking him from potentially meeting the love of his life who also wants to sit in his Manchester flat and have sex once a year. And you could be finding a guy who wants you to dress up like a dominatrix and kick him 
in the asshole with stilettos. I just got an email from someone who's left a boyfriend behind who sounds exactly right for you. (laughs) Oh, God. You like each other's company. You make each other laugh. All right. Well, it is fine to turn around and say, you know, we had a great connection because we should be really good friends. And I think you're a great person, but we don't have the physical connection. You don't have to blame it on him and be like, it's because you fuck so slow. You don't have to blame it on him. Because, yeah, if he's not comfortable going down and you don't want to pressure him to do that and, and you're putting all these reasons, oh, it's, it's because of this. He's afraid of that. It doesn't matter why. It's just like your needs are not being met in this relationship. It's not his fault. But you can just be like, we're better off friends. Don't you agree? And maybe he will be hurt for a while. But like you're in your 20s. This happens all the time. It's not the end of the world. And You just deserve more. And he deserves someone who's right for him too. So don't feel guilty. You're not a bad person. He's a great guy. And he will be probably your great friend for a long time. Thank you so much for your patience and your loyalty to telling everybody everything. Please let your friends know that the podcast is back. I tried so hard to not skip any. You know that I'm trying to make it better all the time because I want to do a podcast tour. If you'd like to come see me at JFL Montreal, please come. It's at the end of July. If you would like to see me on tour, I start that back up again in the autumn. But it would mean everything to me if you will take the time and watch Backstage with Catherine Ryan. That starts tomorrow on Prime Video. All the episodes are available right away. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com